Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good evening, good morning, depending on where you are in the world. Welcome to Dose Nation. I am Rose J. Kettle, and thanks for joining us, as always. With me today, and with me every podcast, is founder of DoseNation.com, author of Psychedelic Information Theory, James Kent. James, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I spent part of my weekend at the High Times Cannabis Cup here in Seattle, which was a little bit of a mind blower. Uh, as you can imagine, I think maybe, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was reading High Times as a, as a young man, a young adult, it seemed like going to a cannabis cup was something that was just outside the realm of possibility. You know, you had to go to Amsterdam or something. And now cannabis is pretty much legalized here in the state of Washington. And they had the cannabis cup here in Seattle. And it was basically just like an Oktoberfest for weed. I mean, that's it was great. Very strange. Why didn't I get the flyer? <laughs> well, I got invited because I've been writing articles for High Times, and I've uh, struck up a friendship with the editor Chris Simonek, and he, of course, goes to the events to you know just promote the magazine and uh, look for new stories and meet people who are in the local movements. And uh, he said, "Come on down." So. I grabbed Nathan Messer, who was on a previous podcast. Um, he had mentioned that he wanted to go. So we both went down and got the VIP treatment and got to wander around and uh, meet all the vendors and uh, meet all the quasi-celebrities in the uh, cannabis movement. And I want to be clear that this is the, the Cannabis Cup. It's sponsored by High Times, which is a for-profit magazine. It's not Hempfest. It's not, you know, Seattle has Hempfest too, which is a big cannabis rally where there's outdoor smoking, but you know, it's people pretty much bring their own and it's a much different crowd. It's, it's, you know, a crowd of people who are a lot younger and are just there because it's like a big free party. This was very much a trade show. There was seed dealers. There were dispensaries. There were people handing out hash oil samples left and right. I mean, I think the, the key word that I took away from this cannabis cup was, was dab or dabbing and dabbers. Everybody was handing out free dabs. You know what dabbing is? Oh, of course. How could you not? Yeah. Well, but see, uh, for well, people who don't know what dabbing is, um, I, of course, I've heard of dabbing for a long time, too. I've just never seen it. This. I, I have never popular. seen it either. Yeah. Um, you take the, the extracted uh, oils and resins from uh, cannabis, which is the THC and the CBD and the other cannabinoids, and you get what's called BHO, which is or the butane or this extracted oil. And it's also can be a, like a hashish, like a like a honey or a crystal, but usually it's just an oil, like it almost looks like earwax. It can be from, from orange to yellow color, depending on the strain it's extracted from. I saw some that was a slightly greener shade. Depends on how it's made as well, you know? What's that? It depends on how it's extracted. Some is all water extraction. Other, like I said, is either solvent or butane extracted. And there's, there's lots of different ways to do it. But, um, there was like, um, like there's a beer tent when you go to, uh, like a, like a show, uh, at, at some place where like everybody hangs out and tries different beers. There was, uh, there was a, <laughs> a hash area. They had cornered off one street that was just, I don't know. I would guess maybe two dozen vendors at booths, um, with huge bong hits 
loaded up with um, weed and big glass jars right on the table and torches flaring up these dab bongs, which are basically a bong. And instead of having a bowl on the end, it has just... um. We get a rig. You know, a, a, a rig. You get it's, a, piece it's, of, a ring, a piece of iron that sits on the edge of the bowl that you heat up. Or you could use a nail a as well. You know, you, there's all different ways to do yeah. it, but the way that looked like the most popular that I saw there was something that looked like a bong. Small bong with this. So yeah, science, this, um, scientific glass. Yeah, that's what you Yeah, use. scientific glass. It's a little tiny small bong with a superheated ring where the bowl should be. And they just heat the, the ring up until it's glowing red hot and they take a little dab of the hash oil and set it on the ring and it immediately vaporizes and you suck in the vapor. And when you do a dab that's the size of, say, a match head, it's like taking 10 bong hits all at once. Right, so when you walk away from that, your your legs crumple and <laughs> <laughs> you're like ready to go the down and take a nap. Watson, and you think, "Holy cow, this is this is more this is more than I've ever smoked in my entire life all that, at once." That, I mean, it's crazy. That's it's, it's the po- crazy. It's the crack cocaine of the weed. That's the point Mark. when you when you when you sit down in front of your computer, put on some adult cartoons, and pass <laughs> out. Yeah, <You know? laughs> this was this was you know and. um Nathan and I were walking around at this and there was, you know, people just kind of lined up at these different booths to try these dabs that they were handing out and they had a selection of dabs and you can say, oh, I'd like to try this one. And you take a hit and it just, I mean, it, it just blows your head open for two or three minutes and I had to sit down. Did you? Um, I'm not a lightweight. I'm not a lightweight, no, but I, I sat down just because I felt that slightly dizzy feeling you feel when you're just about to get nauseous. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if, if my head was spinning because of the weed or because I was about to throw up. I mean, in retrospect, I think it was because of the dab hit was so hard that everything just sort of started spinning. And maybe I had sucked in so much vapor that I wasn't getting quite enough oxygen. You were like, <laughs> whoa, what the hell? I was hyperventilating after I took the hit. Like, I really you, needed more oxygen. Did you hold in the hit? I, yes. Yeah. yeah with, I should not have hold, yeah, held you know, in the hit. Yeah, no, bad as, idea. As I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just And so... And so it was crazy. It was a crazy high. Um, and it only really, like I said, lasted three or four minutes. And I just sat down and everything, my head exploded and I got really hot. And, um, my, my forehead was sweating. And, um, and I felt my knees starting to buckle under me a little bit. Um, but I wasn't like panicked or paranoid or anything. It was, these were just all completely physical effects. You were like, um, oh man, wait a minute. This is, this is interesting. You know, what yeah, the hell is going on? Like, I was like disoriented. My head was spinning. My legs were a little weak. Um, I couldn't tell if I was going to throw up or not. Um, it wasn't entirely pleasant, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I, I've gotten the same sort of feeling when I've taken like a big bong hit of, of tobacco. <laughs> or, you know, where you, if you're used to you know, smoking a cigarette or something, that's fine. But you take a big bong hit of like really high grade tobacco off of like a hookah or something. Sometimes you're not expecting it and it knocks you dizzy. Right. This is, I got knocked dizzy off of getting too much. I got to, I got to tell you. So I'm a cigarette smoker and I have smoked, just, <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. And I have smoked tobacco out of a hookah. And I got to tell you, even, I mean, that, you know, I took, uh, I, I took too big of a, I, I guess it was too, too, too much out of the hose. And I, and I actually felt sick. I was like, man, I was like, are you sure this is tobacco? And they were like, yeah, you know, there's nothing else in there. And it, and it was because of so much nicotine, you know, so it's such a large concentration. So yeah, dabs, dabbing, the hash oil, all the different kinds of hash oil. That was the big thing. All of the different technologies for smoking hash oil. And really there's all these, these sorts of rigs, these heating rigs. You can do it off a hot knife. There was, you know, hot knifing was kind of big, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when 
I first heard of people smoking the, the oil off of a, a heated plate. Um, but there was, um, uh, where was I going with this? Yeah, the, the, there was also the, these vapor pens that people were selling, and I guess they were all coming from China. So, Chris, like an the editor of High Times was telling me when they did the cannabis cup in Colorado that there were guys that had like, that were just like walking around with torches hanging off their belts. And that dabbing was like so the end thing to do that it was just like cool to walk around with your torch rig hanging off your, your belt. You know, wow. Like, <laughs> like that's the hipster thing, like your keys hanging off your belt. Well, and, I mean, and these guys and, and dabbing and then, and, and you know, I've, I know dabbers. I know guys who are, who are dabbers and they don't smoke leaf anymore because it just doesn't make them high. They just dab all the time. Well, that's actually one of the issues that people have or, or, or the but people who have dabbed and who, you know, normally smoke the flower, a lot, you know, there's, there, there's some people who say, well, look, don't do this too often because if you do, you're not going to want to smoke the flowers anymore. It's not going to do anything to, for, for you. And I kind of feel that way about Keef. I mean, I will, I will very occasionally get some Keef. They sell, they sell all sorts of Keef and stuff at the, the dispensaries here in Seattle. Hash and, um, you know, and Keef is just basically the trichomes that have been knocked loose into this really fine kind of powder. Right. And if you smoke that all the time, then basically you stop getting high smoking normal leaf or flowers. Well, it takes, it takes more of the flowers to, right. And your tolerance just goes up so high. It, it, it spins you around a little bit. You have to almost reset your tolerance in order to smoke the flowers again. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, I can see where, and you know, um, the, um, the, the, uh, Pot writer for The Stranger, which is our local weekly, uh, Ben Livingston, he was there. Uh, I was, Nathan and I were talking with him and he had never seen dabbing this extreme. He wrote a little piece for it on Slog, their blog called Tons of Free Hash Oil at the High Times Cannabis Cup. Nice. <laughs> because it was true. I mean, people just had plates of hash oil, like, like a, like a, like a painter's palette with different blobs of hash oil that they could dab out of and put right down on their, on their, their, their hot plate for you to just to huff up and it was crazy i mean i never thought that i would see anything like that in the united states um they had brownies they had um labs that were doing testing of strains they had um you know machines for drying and trimming uh, of course they had the little bazaar where all of the um people were just basically handing out free samples of of, of weed to anyone over 21 and um is that is I that the limited? See, I did not see. This was in Fremont, which is kind of a little hipster, independent arts. Um, also kind of corporate. I think Google has offices in Fremont, uh, down by the water, um, in the north part of the city. It's kind of a real, really cool little city where you know, like a lot of indie brew pubs are. Right. Um, and so this was in Fremont, and I walked around the event, which was maybe a couple thousand people. Yeah, in and out during the couple the hours that I was there, uh, probably more. Um, but I wasn't really judging how many people were there uh, while I was there. Uh, and I walked around the event for maybe five or six blocks um, on the way in. And I walked around the entire event there for two or three hours. I did not see one police officer. Not outside the show, not inside the show, not anywhere in Fremont, not That's anywhere on that end of the city. That's because illegal What's that? Nothing illegal was going on. Well, t- technically, smoking uh, extracted hash oil off 
I mean, technically, selling and smoking extracted hash oil is still illegal in in Washington. You're not supposed to sell um, what's it called concentrates, extracted concentrates, or something like that. Uh, there's some language in the law that says that selling ex- extracted concentrates is technically still illegal, but but people are doing it anyway, and nobody seems to care too much, as far as I can tell. Um, there was maybe I saw maybe five security cards the whole time I was there. I pay attention to those kinds of things. I used to run shows. I mean, and I'd worked, I've known people who promoted shows. And whenever I go to a show, I look to see what the, what the security detail is like, just in case something goes wrong. But it was, you know, it's cannabis cup, man. It was an Oktoberfest. Yeah. Everybody was mellow and having a good time. Well, that's what, ca- well, I, 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 that's, the- and if they weren't mellow, if they, when they came back out of the free dabs area, they were certainly, <laughs> yeah, they were certainly mellow. They were certainly not going to start any fights after that one. Hey, yeah. man. Hey, man. I didn't like that, man. You want to fight about it? Nah, man. No. Hey, you know, people were handing out hash brownies. Um, uh, Russ Belleville from the 420 radio org was there, uh, talking up a storm and interviewing people. Um, and like I said, there was a lot of money being displayed by seed vendors. Um, huge booths for seed vendors manned by like, um, 15 people all dressed in swag, like t-shirts and hats with their logos on it, handing out posters and stickers and, and like uh, they had all business. sorts of hats and t-shirts and swag for sale. And I was going, what, what is this table? What are they selling here? And they had like a little small seed menu. And I was like, oh, these are just seed distributors, but they're acting like rock stars. Well, because they want to get their name and their brand out there, you know, they, they want to get their brand out there. And they were like rolling deep. They had like deep crews of people at these tables. Um, you know, just, you know, like hip hop looking guys and t-shirts and hats and jeans and like, you know, hot girls with tattoos. Uh, handing out information and talking out people and, um, not a whole lot of money exchanging hands at these tables. It was just a lot of promotion. It was just a trade show. Yeah. But, you so, know, again, I mean, you know, hot women with tattoos at a, at a it's cannabis. Oh, yeah. And there were cannabis girls walking. Oh, yeah. Of course. Like short shorts and stuff like that. All of that stuff. You right. Know? And there right. were guys passed out on the steps in front of the. <laughs> The theater where they were doing the panel discussions on oh, edibles and uh, you know medical dispensary laws or whatever. I can't. There was you know I can't, can't keep track of everything that was going on, but you know we saw everything twice. We wandered around and said hi to everybody and uh, too many free dabs. I mean, it was like after doing one or two, it's like I can't really. T- I can't. Really I can't any smoke part. anymore. You're like I'm done. No, it's, it's just it's, like, it's just like oh my god, that was way too much. The cannabis chewing gum. Um, they have Chiba Chews. I don't know if you know what Chiba Chews are, but those are really big now. Yeah, I know. I, I and I know that you know within within some of these states at the medical dispensaries and at other places, they're selling. Uh, you know, and they're and they're utilizing uh, things like gummy bears, things like um, you know chewing gum, lollipops. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is available. Um, yeah, I don't. They have gummy worms. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's what I just said. Gummy bears and stuff like that. They have those, yeah. and uh, you know, basically any kind of thing that you could want that you could put THC in. Boom, <laughs> you got it. So, um, so it was very weird. Yeah, and it was it was one of these things where it was like um, a little strange and surreal because it it wasn't like um, oh my god, I got invited to the cannabis cup. 
It was more like, hey, honey, I said to my wife, I have to go to Fremont to do this work thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I have to go meet my editor. And that's, and that's kind of what it was. I went down to talk to the editor and, and sort of see what the shit, what the show was all about. And I was totally blown away. It was just, um, um, now here where I live in New Jersey, uh, we don't, you know, nothing like that goes on there are some legalization bills uh, and some medical marijuana bills that are going on in, in states surrounding uh new jersey and the northeast so you know who knows maybe we'll see something like that around here maybe in new york or something like that at some point in the future but uh you know i doubt you it you can always hope well you know i i i did i i did hear something about pennsylvania pa- uh, pushing through uh a legalization bill it's in there it's in their uh, house or something like that, I think, is what I was reading. And Nathan said something funny to me. I mean, it struck me as funny because I'd never heard this, the idiom before. But he said that uh, he always thought that medical marijuana was um, just getting the camel's nose inside the tent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I guess, you know, just, you know, a, a getting a toe in the door for full legalization. And um, it definitely seems like that's that's kind of what's going on all all over the place. Um, and I don't think anybody really had any doubts that that was going on, um, behind the scenes, but even if full legalization never happened, medical is, I think, uh, enough of a reason for it to be legal but I for think that, anybody who wants it. I mean, like aspirin. I want to make aspirin a, is medical. It's just over the counter. I want to make a point here though. I think that there should be. The, I think that people who have legitimate medical disorders should have access to cheaper marijuana than those who are paying for it recreationally. I do think so. Um, and the reason is, is because if you have cancer and you're dying, uh, you probably have less money to spend on pot because you have other medical bills to pay. And that's, you can find them. There's, there are angel donors in the, in the medical marijuana community that do give away free pot to patients who need it. Um, yeah, that's not uh, unheard of. So, that ha- I think that happens all the time. So I am in a favor of, of places, keeping... A lot of these places are making tons of money through the front door of their establishments, and they have tons of, you know, weed lying around. Right, so if somebody who's really sick cannot afford the marijuana that is their medicine that is prescribed and that will help them, some of these places are willing to give it to them for a, a reduced rate or for nothing? Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, even within and state- technically, a lot of these places that, that that operate in Seattle, you are paying a donation to them when you when you buy when you purchase your weed. Um, it's not strictly a, an across the board sales that's going on. So they they do have sliding scales for people who donate at a at a lower level. At least some of them do. So let me let me get a let me get um, just a quick point across, and and let me see. You know, maybe you'll agree with me, but maybe maybe you won't. But, but I think that even in states like Washington where, where marijuana is legal, there still needs to be a medical marijuana program in place for people who are legitimately ill. And I agree with that. And I think that, um, having the medical industry in place before full legalization put in mechanics like private companies that do marijuana screening to see what the content of THC is versus the content of CBD. So they can give you an accurate screening of exactly what is in that. But that's a medical analysis. But now that it is legal for recreational use, people are going to be looking at the medical analysis of each strain, trying to figure out what 
strain works best for them. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be there without the medical. No, and no, no, so, right. And that's and and people who do use it medically should have the benefit of that kind of screening. Oh, I agree. Yeah, you and know, that's why there needs to be a medical establishment in place for patients who need it so they can get exactly the cannabinoids exactly, they need right. instead of just buying whatever weed is available that week. And the other thing is that, is that there needs to be someone there to educate people who are who have who have medical conditions and and who who are in need of 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 certain types of marijuana and who know okay this this particular type of cannabis is going to produce this kind of effect this is going to produce this effect if you have anxiety and depression it's good for this if you have pain it's good for this if you have uh you know I don't know uh, 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 irritable bowel syndrome. This type of marijuana is good. I think that needs to stay in place because, and that's that's true for the yeah. most part. But you can never tell exactly how somebody's going to react to a particular strain, right? People but I are, mean, people are different, and they have different things that they're looking for. And um, it's usually what they're looking for is just the right balance of THC to CBD. Um, well, there and, are, and what they're smoking, and it's impossible to tell just by looking at the plant what that is. You need to have the, an expert there. You need to have well, well, you need to have the chemical screen done, and somebody who knows what that means. Right, and that's what I'm saying. The medical and and those medical dispensaries need to be in place so that those people can have access to that type of information. And mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who might who who are medical patients who might prefer one type to another type and you know again it should be available for them to have that variety and that choice um and you know for you the know. patients who can't smoke it for one reason right. or another they may prefer having it as a gummy worm exactly or a, or a soda right because, <laughs> it, right no, no no i mean i mean i mean because uh well well let's say someone has never been a smoker you know never smoked cigarettes never smoked marijuana Wants wants the medical or, the, or wants the uh, medicinal benefits of of THC, but doesn't particularly want to smoke. Well, there are you know you can buy a brownie, you could buy a gummy bear, you could buy. A, I mean, I, I didn't know they sold soda, but that's yeah. They to have me. a loaded soda, and I'm not uh, advocating any brands. I'm just t- t- talking about what I've seen. Um, you yeah. know, like Chiba Chews. I've never tried Chiba Chews, and I don't really know how I feel about them. They had like a Chiba Chew mascot walking around, which was basically a big <laughs> a guy in a big. You know, imagine a Jolly Rancher outfit, but he's, it says Chiba Chews down the side. Right, yeah, oh god. You can't see his face, it's just this big, you know, like a, like a big ice cream sandwich walking down with like, <laughs> waving gloves and stuff like that. Hey it's guys! Kind of you know? Yeah, I wanted to walk up and, you know, I'm one of these antisocial people that just wanted to walk up behind the Chiba Chews mascot and kick it over. Oh god. <laughs> You know, that's the first thing that pops into my mind when I see something like that. Let's so. go knock over the mascot. <laughs> yeah, let's go knock him over. Did you do that a lot or in high school? Or no, I, I don't think I ever have done that. Were you the guy uh, who like ran into the field and like tackled the I mascot? I was the guy who would suggest to somebody who has less impulse control than I would uh, to uh, to go and do that, and I could sometimes goad other people into doing that. So you were the, stuff for so me. you were the bad influence then. Uh, I was an instigator, and in, yeah, in, instigator slash evil genius. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I mean, it depends on the way you look at it. Yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah, the the Chiba Chews thing uh, we've had. So the discussions that we had were about how do we feel about these candies? They're marketed as candies with names like Chiba Chews. Um, is that marketing to kids? No. <laughs> no. No, it's yeah. not. No, no. Because look, okay, you know what? For, uh, I'm going to put this out there now, and many people are going to hate me for it. And I don't care. Okay. Uh, what? 
Candy is bad for you, period. Okay? Candy is terrible for you. It is terrible for your, no, 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 I'm serious. It is terrible. I agree. I agree. It is Go terrible on. for your body. It is terrible for your health. It is terrible to give to your children. Okay? It is not good for them. Just like McDonald's is not good for them. Okay? So, in the same vein, should we then penalize McDonald's and penalize the candy industry, non-cannabis candy industry, uh, because they're advocating bad food, and bad eating habits to children, right? So we, th- th- does that not also need to need to be regulated then? Because if because we're not even regulating the normal candy industry, which is terrible for people, gives people diabetes and all this other kind of stuff. But we want to go ahead and regulate the okay, the well, barring candy the double industry? standard with alcohol and tobacco and candy. Um, if somebody wanted to sell, but you, you know, can't bar Nikachus, the double standard. You know, nicotine gum exists. Right. But it's not marketed to kids. N- no, because it's because it's a it, it is a quit it's, smoking. It's aid. marketed in packages that are completely boring and look like it's horrible to chew and nobody would ever want it. Right, but candy is 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 in a very nice package that makes kids <laughs> want to eat it with all kinds of colorful things on it. And just in the same and way, if somebody at- wanted to sell a nicotine candy to kids, there would be uh, some backlash. Right, but again, are people selling this to children? No, I mean there's Not technically, but no, it's but, marketed but the same not, way that Bazooka Joe bubblegum is marketed. Yeah, but there but, but again, you also have to look at stoner culture, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean I mean I mean I, I, I thought we were talking about medicine. I'm not joking. This is I've heard people say that yeah, if cannabis is going to be medicine, they need to uh, you know, maybe think about looking into the way they name different strains of weed so you, you don't have to go in and order like OG Mac Daddy purple. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, uh, excuse me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having some back trouble. I need some OG Mac Daddy Kush right now. I really, you know, no, 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 no. I mean, it does sound a little funny, but, 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 but you understand the point that I'm trying to, I mean, look, at this point, I would say that marijuana culture in the United States is pretty solidified, whether it be medicinal or non-medicinal. So it's got a cartoon element to it. And yeah, saying. and there's this kind of fun, like fanciful element to it. There is a, you know, uh, there's a lot of levity to it, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, so I mean, it's to be expected. Just in the same way, like you know, they might have like a giant walking beer can. I mean, you could say, well, that oh, well, does that mean that they're promoting it to children? No, you know, I mean, maybe, but uh, again, it's 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 if it part was of called, the you know, like Fizzy's beer. Right. I mean, you know, that would be like, and it, you know, and it was, and it would look like a can of soda, not like a can of beer. Then I would say, yes, they were marketing that to kids. Right. But I mean, let me ask you a question: Who's going to buy a boring-sounding candy? <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's true. Even an adult. It's true. I mean, so this is the discussion that we had. The other discussion <laughs> that we were having was, um, is dabbing going too far? And I agree that that. And there was some of the comments I read on this thing that uh, Ben Livingston wrote on this on the very short piece. People said, you know, I've been smoking for many years, and you know, dabbing seems a little crazy to me. And that's kind of the way I felt about it, but I don't want to be an old fogey saying, oh, all dabbers are messed up, because I'm sure you can be a dabber and maybe still have a normal life. But um, it's you're probably very hooked into marijuana culture if you're getting the, the, ex- the pure extracts and have the luxury of dabbing with the, with the good stuff. Um, but, because you know, it's going to get super expensive to be a dabber. But here's the thing. Point. I mean, I mean, I mean, and this goes back to the conversation that you and I had, you know, earlier, which is that you build up a tolerance. The flowers don't work anymore. And I think that that creates an imbalance 
Um, I mean, look, maybe maybe people people particularly like dabbing, but it if is you do the, it, it is, too it much. Is the, it is the crack cocaine of weed. No, it is. I mean, and if, if cocaine is, is starts with coca leaf and ends with somebody smoking crack, then that's sort of where the that's where the marijuana culture ends in terms of potency. Is kind of vaporizing um, dabs of hash oil, and you know it's it's sort of hit that peak, and I don't think it could hit that peak in, unless there was enough legal weed floating around that people had the luxury of just extracting, you know, buckets full of weed to get you know a few grams of hash oil. Yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, look, do do, do I do I think do I think that it's a that, that over a long period of time. Is it a practice that is is it a practice that is going to affect your marijuana consumption? Yes, because of the potency of it, and because well, in some states of the availability. And then when you go back to smoking the leaf or the flower, it's not again, it's not going to have the same potency. It's not going to have the same effects. You're going to have to. Is there is a little bit of elitism in the dabber community too? I met a dabber who said, you know, if it's brown, it makes you frown. Talking about hash that is not properly um, extracted you know and he says if it's yellow it makes you mellow (laughs) (sighs) and so they get they get a they get very uh sort of elitist about the level of purity in the dab that they're smoking because they are getting a super high concentrated dose and you know for people like you know like who maybe want who need a high concentrated dose for pain, pain treatment or because they just need a higher dose and they can't smoke that much leaf then hash oil is definitely the way to go but Oh, I agree. For recreational use on a, you know, on a, nor on a regular basis, it just seems a little extreme to me. But, you know. And I agree. Each his own. People, some people probably can't get high smoking. Who am I to judge? And other people just get loopy smoking regular leaves. So everybody has a different tolerance. Right. Who am I to judge? That's my, uh, main point, I guess. But. Anyway. So, yeah, so- then, and the other thing that we were talking about is all of these people being hospitalized smoking synthetic marijuana. There was yeah. this outbreak oh, of synthetic yeah. marijuana in Colorado of all places where marijuana is legal. Where like 70 people were hospitalized and maybe three deaths were linked. That stuff to- is terrible. And I, and ever, I mean, from the minute it came out, from the, from the minute it came out, and I'm, I, I mean, I kid you not, maybe two or three days after that, I was speaking to a few friends of mine and they were telling me stories of how of, 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 you know, their, 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 their usage of this, right? And I'm thinking to myself, from what you're describing, this sounds awful. What, synthetic weed? <laughs> yeah, this sounds terrible. It sounds like it's not a fun experience. It sounds like it's bad for your brain. It sounds, I mean, no, I, no, I'm serious. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't sound good. Uh, and, uh, I was right. So, uh, I, from the beginning, I had taken a strong, a strong anti-synthetic marijuana stance. Mm-hmm. And uh, and with good reason because you know now now like we see in Colorado you said seventy people were hospitalized that's that's what I saw and and you know it's funny uh, a lot of the news reports that I got on this stuff now comes from places like CNN you know uh, completely mainstream sources that are um, covering this um, I think um, Aaron Burnett on Out Front did a piece on Molly last week uh, you know a big you know ten minute piece on Molly. The new craze, you know, and uh, we all know what Molly is. It's been around forever. It's just MDMA. It's right. e being rebranded. The, as a, wait, hold on. Did they say the new craze? What I mean? Well, when yeah. did they catch on? I mean, it's new to them because they the media has rebranded it as new because they don't have any new drugs. I to mean, talk that, about. I mean, that's been around since what the eighties, the nineties. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean in full so, force. But so, 
um, you know, kids are going back to school and they're running these pieces for, you know, sh- sh- should parents be concerned? You know, these sort of weird sort of, how does a journalist who wants to be hip and cover the, you know, the drug scene get an in to cover it on CNN? So it's always like, your kids are headed off to school. What kind of drugs are they going to be, int- you know, introduced to? It's like, maybe you should hear about Molly. No, maybe yeah, you think, should hear about Miley MDA Cyrus and sit mentioned and... Molly in a song. I mean, every, I mean, there's all pop stars mentioned Molly in songs should, by name. I think it's the hip drug to name check in songs. Should your children because... be more concerned about Molly or, should, or MDA, you know, and flatliners and, you know, all the, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, no, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, people are looking at the wrong places. I mean, somebody could, could, could say, oh yeah, this is Molly, but in fact it's MDA or 6APB or something else. Well, right. And so this is why, um, you know, the, the article that I just wrote that just came out on High Times is called The New Synthetics. And you can just Fantastic Google, article, you, by the just way. Just Google New Synthetics and the, the, the article will come up. And, uh, it's in High Times and it's pretty basic for people who know the scene and have been around the scene. I'm not like, introducing any new information but it's newish to high times readers or to people who are going to college or back to school this semester and have not heard of all this stuff floating around so it's been you know it's just sort of a roundup of you know new research chemicals that have that have hit the street in the last couple of years not necessarily have been synthesized in the last couple of years but have become popular in underground markets and usually because they get names like molly like, E isn't cool anymore. Kids don't want to do E. That's their parents' drug. They want to do Molly, which is different now because it's powder. It's cooler. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a cool factor to it and things like that. I mean, I I, I mean, I don't see it that way, but okay, you know. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I or mean, I mean, I. doesn't want to talk about E anymore, ecstasy or MDMA, the love drug. They want to talk about Molly because, you know, hip hoppers are, are named. But it's, but it's all the same. Th- I mean, well, I mean, uh, I mean, ecstasy well, see, this is, is more... I mean, uh, and this is, this is, this is even, you know, in, in, in infects uh, my work because I was talking to Chris Simonek as something, you know, talking about articles that I'm working on. And I said, you know, I'm really interested in, in the fact that all of the MDMA in the United States is coming from Canada. Well, not all of it, but like 60% of it. Canada is a, a huge supplier of MDMA. I mean, that's one of their big underground markets is MDMA, and not right. a lot of people talk about it. And there's this Chinese-Vancouver connection um, that, you know, and then there's lots of little mom-and-pop Chinese MDMA distributors that, you know, aren't really controlled by gangs. They're these sort of familial connections. It's it's a very different and weird drug distribution market. And MDMA is still the most popular psychedelic in America and I think around the world. I think by far more people take MDMA as pills or in powder than any other quote unquote psychedelic in, in the scene. And also so and so and he said and he wasn't interested and I said, Well this is Molly. Have you heard of Molly? He says, Oh yeah, I've heard of Molly and then he was interested in the story. But so he thought semantics. I was talking about ecstasy. But it's so it's semantics then. It is semantics. It's it's branding. <sighs> Brands are powerful things. Brands are powerful things, and the ecstasy brand is not very powerful right now. But the Molly brand, the Molly is, brand is powerful, even though it's the same drug. Even well, well, I mean, I mean, uh, some of this um, usually, I mean, at least in from the conversations I have, ecstasy is usually used to. To refer to uh, MDMA that's cut with uh, amphetamine, 
well, sure, it could be cut with a lot of things. It could be cut with caffeine or just buffered with, you know, pill pressing powder or, you know, powdered milk. I mean, there's all sorts of things that they find in, in, in E tablets, which are ecstasy, um, which are not MDMA. You know, you, and, and that's, that's just a fact. Ecstasy is, but when ecstasy was named, when the name ecstasy was named, they were talking about MDMA. The E that's sold in pills is not always MDMA. No, it is not. Um, and that's why you need to know where your pill came from. Yes. But usually powder that's sold as Molly is actually MDMA powder. And maybe that is why it's more popular is because it's a little bit harder to, to disguise it as something else. Well, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. Right. Know. I mean, I mean. But anyway, so there was, there's, there's that. Then there's, um, the new, the new popular things. And, you know, there was really, we were talking about these, these synthetic pot overdoses and there was too many for us to keep track of. There was like these couple here, these couple there, these couple, and, you know, between like the five people who had started this discussion standing around the table, um, you know, I just had sort of lost count of all of these different things. And this is one of the things that Dose Nation did when we first launched as a blog many years ago is we would talk about these random cases, isolated cases, where somebody would get a bad batch of this certain research chemical and it would be a news item for a couple of days and a couple of people would be hospitalized. Now that story comes out every week, it seems like. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, like I said, you had, you had the 70 cases in Colorado with the synthetic, with the synthetic marijuana. You had cases elsewhere in the United States with, uh, Molly, you know, what they dubbed. Oh, Molly. there was this, the, the electronic zoo festival. What was it? The, uh. Oh, I don't remember exactly. Do you know what I'm talking about? They I had to so, shut yeah. down the, um. The show? The, the entire show, the entire festival because of some overdoses. Well, don't uh, they have like a medical tent at these festivals? <laughs> Well, yeah, festival festival intervention. There was a there was a very huge medical tent at the uh, cannabis uh, cannabis cup that nobody was at. Well, and that's two paramedics sitting there doing nothing. That's and I not asked surprising. My friend jokingly, do you think they have medical marijuana at the? Ah. <laughs> <the, laughs> well, well, no, 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 no. I mean, okay, let's 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 think about this rationally for a minute. What the hell's going to happen at cannabis cup? That's going to send somebody to the medical tent. They're gonna get way high. They're gonna get too high. They might have a panic attack. They're, you know, the the paramedic will then administer a Xanax or an or an Ativan or whatever, and then it's, it's over with. I mean, that's the worst yeah, that's gonna no happen. There was no beer there. I mean, there was no beer there. Right. There was uh, no alcohol. Was gonna get right. Drunk. Uh, you know. Nobody's and we saw one fight. person. We saw one person who was sort of passed out on the steps, uh, and uh, Nathan wanted to take a picture of him, but uh-huh. he. He unfortunately woke up before we could get a good angle. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but, uh, there was, uh, you know, mostly people were just, you know, everybody was just in a very, uh, easygoing mood. There was no altercations or weirdness. Nobody seemed paranoid or, uh, or freaked out. Well, that's always a good thing. Yeah. It's always yeah, a good sign. A good time. Good time was had. And, um, Working on a couple other articles for High Times. It should be out in a couple months or so. So. Oh, cool, cool stuff. So, so that was the Cannabis Cup, and I guess they're going to be doing it every year. So. Cannabis wow. Cup uh, 2014, I guess, will be the next one. Yeah, I mean, but they're doing them in different cities all over all over the world now. They do them in Amsterdam. They do them in Colorado. They do them. They did one in California. They're doing one in 
Seattle. At, at different times, or they have, or is it every year it's hosted in a, in a different city? Like it's like Comic Con. You know, it goes to different cities. Ah, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Well, but see, but see, it's a little different than Comic Con because you can't bring. I mean, you can't set up a, mar- a marijuana festival in every state, though. Not yet. Not yet. But in the five states where you can, or the four or five, whatever, yet. right? Yeah, they do it. The key word is, and then yet. they go to Amsterdam, or then they go to Vancouver, or, you know. So there's there's different right, places where they can do it. So well, that's well, that's good, and I, you know, and like I said, I'm I'm I, I I I'm interested in seeing the development of the legalization of marijuana in the United States, and in addition, I'm interested in seeing, uh, you know, how how cannabis couple expand and what cities it will come to. So. It's pretty, pretty out of this world. Yeah, well, from what you're telling me, it sounds like it. Kind of like the picture on the top of your article here. I, sorry, I Googled the oh, new yeah, synthetics. Oh, yeah, there's a great piece of artwork on the top of the uh, new synthetics. I thought artwork. it was awesome. Um, the artist's name is... Oh, I did. <laughs> it's in here somewhere. Um, it's not. I don't know why they don't have the artist's name on the page, but um, I'll have to. I'll have. To, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Great piece of artwork, though. Um, no, 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 wait, James. See, the artist emailed me and asked me what he should do for the piece, and I said, I don't know. Why don't you just like have somebody's like head opening up with all sorts of you know crazy colors coming out of it? And he said, Can do. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So 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 here's my question: How do you get into that state of mind? No, just kidding. All right, moving on. <laughs> How do you become that picture? No. Um, it's, a, it's a great picture. No, it is. It is. I like that. And uh, we'll, I'll definitely have the name of the artists uh, when we post this uh, podcast on our on our page at dosenation.com. Yeah. So um, be, before you run out of time, uh, there were there there was uh, one thing that I wanted to uh, to. Did you want to talk about the news? Yeah, I did want to talk about the news because it's now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the news with yeah. Jake Kettle and oh. James Kent. <laughs> No, but I think that this is a really, really, really important topic. It, you know, human rights are involved. Uh, well, there's a couple of important. World topics. War Three could be involved. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I want to start off with Syria and uh, what's going on in Syria. Um, so I, I, I had read an, ar- an article yesterday that um, President Assad or dictator Assad, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> yeah, which is he's a dictator, uh, has there. Russia has made an offer. They said, if you are willing to hand over your chemical arsenal, there won't be a strike on Syria. And you could continue this little internal warfare between each other without chemical weapons. So, the, so there's a, there's a chance here that, that all, that, that, that a, that a third war could be avoided. Or World War well, III could no. be avoided. That the war is already going on. No, no, no. I mean, there the, is already a war. There is a I mean, war there going on. There is already World War Three. Well, I mean, the war, the but the war is going on internally right now in Syria. Well, yeah, and and Yemen. And yeah, right, right, and Yemen, and, and Iraq, and, and Iraq, and Afghanistan, and Afghanistan, and, and Libya, and Libya, and, and Egypt. Yes, okay, yeah. I mean, no. Come on, let's not. No, 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 let's no, no. Not I, say that it's an isolated thing. No, There's a huge war going on right now. It's not an isolated thing. There is a huge war going on, but. Um, some of which I think is our fault, most of which. Anyway. <laughs> well, um, you can't blame you and me, but international policy in the Middle East for the last, uh, it's not well, necessarily been steady, uh, consistent, or helpful. 
So no, it uh, has not. No, I yeah. mean, I mean, since since the end of World War II, our policy in the Middle East has been atrocious. It has backfired, and uh, we fail to recognize uh, a little something called blowback, mm. and uh, we're seeing a lot of that now. So uh, this. So what I, do you think about the Russian proposal? I I think it. I I hope that. Assad takes the proposal, considers it seriously, and then turns over his chemical arsenal. Um, but what is what is so? My big question is: What is the major opposition to President Obama's plan to use a military strike against Assad? Well, that, that there will be civilian casualties. There are going to be a lot the of civ- shouldn't get involved. There are going to be and, civilian and, casualties. That's going to involve us in in in, in another in another front. That we don't need to open, that we can but barely afford Libya? anyway. I mean, Libya is almost the same thing, and Libya is a very it's a it's a smaller country. Uh, the terrain in Libya is different. But it now look at Libya. Easier, it was a little bit easier to topple Gaddafi than it will be to topple Assad. But look at Egypt. But it's look, a very similar situation. Yeah, and it's going to end up the in a UN similar said, way. Okay, take out Gaddafi because he's burned his last bridge. He doesn't have any more friends in the in the international community. Assad has not burned his last bridge yet. He still has bridges with Russia and China, which is why the U.S. cannot strike him. That's the only reason this is different than Libya. Right, but but the other thing that we have to realize is, is that if we do do a strike, okay, it's going to end up the same way as Libya, where you where and I and I did a uh, and I did a, I did a little reading on the on the situation. Oh hell yeah, in, in Libya. Which <laughs> no, no no wait so this so very small limited military strike that John Kerry is tiptoeing around. We'll take out his air force. It will take out his anti-air power. It will right. take out his artillery. It will take way. out his tanks. It will take out his armored columns. It will do major damage. We have... and he will base. He will have to turn and run for a little while. Uh, and you know, the fact that he still has Russia there saying, "Oh, don't worry. If we if he blows up tanks, we'll give you more tanks," makes him a little more courageous here. But, but what but, I want to say about Libya, though, is that in the aftermath of our of our intervention in Libya, okay. There has been a huge increase in Islamic insurgency there, okay? Which is oh, then, oh, oh, hold on, which is then spilled over into northern Mali and is threatening that region too. And then is threatening, you know, the subsequent areas in, um, North Africa, not sub-Saharan Africa yet, but it's, it's getting, you know, with Somalia and Kenya and you have all that big problem there. But, by by doing these targeted strikes, okay, we're actually, uh, you know, and even though, oh, well, it's, you know, we're we're only doing targeted strikes on the military complexes and all this stuff, we're creating a bigger problem by doing well, yeah, these targeted do you want to strikes. create the power vacuum? Right, and that's basically what what we've created in Egypt. It's what's we it's it's what we've created in Iraq. It's what's we it is it's what we've created in Libya. It's what we are creating. And Afghanistan it, has had a power vacuum for how many years? Forty years, right. probably. So, uh, you know, now, now we have Blackwater in Iraq. We have, uh, you know, Egypt. There, there, there's a huge power grab. I mean, obviously we, there, there was the whole situation between the Muslim Brotherhood and the Egyptian army. Uh, you know, we have destabilized that region even further. My fear is that if we strike on Syria, we're going to further destabilize Syria, knocking another country off the map, another, uh, you know, knocking, uh, you know, and then we have more insurgency, more, um, you know, as you said, a power vacuum. People just fighting to the to the death for control. For control. No, so, I, I watched a right. video of the rebel leader. Right, this is the guy that we're sending arms to. Eat the heart of literally eat the heart of his enemy, literally. 
took the in Syria took his heart out. Yeah, I believe it was in Syria. Took his heart out, and I and I and, and then he ate it. Took a bite out of it. This is victory. I mean, these. I mean, the, the, you know, we're sending money to these people and arms. So, I I, I don't I, I don't like any of it. Well, no, none of it, none of it is, is palatable. Nobody wants to be involved in it because it all just, it all just reeks. But people are getting very, um, you know, bent out of shape about President Obama's handling of this situation and, you know, the red line and, uh, you know, he threatens military action and then he goes to Congress and then he pulls his punches and all of this. But you have to remember that. American foreign policy without the teeth of military action is hollow. People respect America's foreign policy because they have the power to strike when they want to. And Obama is flexing that muscle um, in very much the same way that Kennedy flexed that muscle whenever the Russians did something he didn't like. Uh, he is not letting the Russians and the Chinese bully or shape u.s foreign policy he is you know playing the strong game yeah and i mean but i don't you can say well did he ever intend to strike i think he did intend to strike but i think he also is looking for ways out that involve the rest of the world giving a little bit and the threat of that military strike um is really, I mean, one of America's most powerful pieces on the international chessboard is we can say, hey, listen, you know, America, we have things that we like in the world and things that we don't like. And if you do this thing that we don't like, that's really, 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 really bad. We're going to pound you. We're going to pound you hard. <laughs> and, and we have, we have a big, a hundred thousand pound hammer that we that we can swing at you. Right, called don't an aircraft that. carrier docked off yeah, your, you know. Don't you, forget that. You know, right. And people, you know, people, we we we, we go five, ten years without swinging the hammer. People forget, and they they say, "Hey, how's that hammer swinging these days?" You know, and Assad is really just testing Obama's fortitude on this on this position as a proxy for Iran and Russia. To see if he if he means what he says he means, and he's willing to do it, and I think he is willing to do it, and I think he showed the world that he's willing to do it. But he's you know now giving Russia and Syria a little wiggle room to creep out if, if you know they see the hammer swinging and they want to say, hey, hey, hey wait a minute, <laughs> we don't want to get hit by the hammer. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's really the, the, the UN, you know, it's like everybody asks, well, why does it fall to the US to be the world police? It's because we make the hundred pound hammer. We have it. We have it in our back pocket all the time. And it's what we do really, really well. I mean, since World War II, that's what we do. Is that what we should do? That's another topic of conversation. Well, that is, that drives our economy. That's, that is one of the major engines of our economy is this military industrial complex but you and making all... things like million dollar cruise missiles. Right. But by doing things like, like, uh, like making million dollar cruise missiles, how are we furthering the, uh, cause for peace? <sighs> well, not. that's, you know, it's walk strongly and carry a big stick, really. I think you walk have to... softly and carry a big stick. Walk softly and carry. No, 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 no. no. Speak yeah, but, softly. Or, yeah, or whatever. Or, or whatever the quote is. Yeah, I don't know if I like that one. Yeah, it's 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 sort of a mixed message, of course. It's like, hey, man, don't don't like you know, make sure you got the big stick, but you know, and threaten people with it, but 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 don't use it, you know. 
Don't, don't, don't use it. Well, why don't we just eliminate well, you have to the use big it every stick. once in a while, and you know they they used it in Libya, and the the, the world and community it was a basically disaster. Gave, gave the U.S. a big thumbs up and said, "Hey, thank you, U.S." You and it your turned out hit just where it was supposed to. And it turned out to be a disaster for that region. <laughs> it turned no, no, I'm not, no. I mean, it turned out to be a disaster. I mean, like I said, I was reading an article uh, that insurgents are uh, Islamic insurgents are now pushing into northern Mali and wrecking. I mean, I think that they 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 control. Uh, part parts of the uh, of the northern parts of Mali, they. Well, yeah. I mean, it's um, but I mean, but it was but only Egypt but that Middle only East. happened after we destabilized Egypt and Libya. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Libya was pretty unstable before we we knocked out Gaddafi's military installations. I mean, civil war is is instability. Um, Civil War. It, it, the question is whether or not we're making things better or worse, and I don't. Look, I don't think. Civil War is instability, right? But it seems like, in the short term, better; in the long term, worse. Yeah, I mean, in the long term, it. Well, I mean, I mean, think about it this way. Imagine if someone. Okay, look at. We had the American Civil War, right, in the 1800s, right. Now, mm-hmm. now, imagine if, let's say, a strong. And some people still don't think that shit is over. Yeah, well, I, I mean, do. If you go to the South, and there's some people who still. They still carry a hold of grudge about that. That's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> what, what, the, 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 the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, could you imagine if Britain had intervened in the American Civil War? I mean, how, how, how insanely that would have turned out uh, for either side? How, how many, I mean, look at, I mean, look at how much death was caused by the American Civil War, right? Could you imagine if 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 other countries had intervened? I, I think I think other countries were intervening in um, supplying arms and support to different sides of right, the war. Right, but none of them they, struck. But, not, none of them supplied direct military intervention, though. No, and I don't think I don't think um, at that point in history uh, the idea of you know. ICBM or, or you know strikes across the globe out of twenty minutes. Notice was an option. No, like but, 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 you know, you could, you could blockade a harbor and you could, uh, point your cannons at it and say, look, if anything comes in or out, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna blow you up. <laughs> you know? We're, 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 we're gonna blow up that fort, we're gonna blow up all your ships in the harbor, and then we're gonna blow up the town next to it. Well, it is interesting that the UK is not, has, has voted not to intervene in Syria. They haven't, yeah. Um. And, and David Cameron has followed that. Right. And it's 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 really one of these things where it's like it's the, the problem in Syria is that Assad still has a few friends, right? But but see, he's going to quick to quickly lose those friends. If he it, it it all it all depends on how this 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 thing plays out. He right? Could, if he continues you know, to he be could, insane, he could you know nicely turn over all of his chemical stockpiles, or at least play the theater game for a few months, and um, I hope things quiet down. But I. To me, it just seems like foot dragging. It just seems like they're 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 playing the dance to see how long they can string it out. Well, that's what one of the I I I can't remember who who had come out and said it, but somebody came out and said, "Well, you know, is this is this just not a stalling activity? Is this a stalling activity, or are we really going to get some progress done here?" Well, here's the problem. I mean, the real problem for Assad is that he would not have used chemical weapons. Unless he was getting desperate and that his grip on power was slipping. He, he does tons and tons of heinous shit. He firebombs 
elementary school playgrounds with napalm bombs that kill dozens of school innocent school kids. Um, and the U.S. does not intervene. That is not a red line for us. Firebombing is okay. But chemical weapons, they're no-no. And that's because it goes from a few dozen scarred kids on a playground to 400 kids in a neighborhood. Well, the other thing is that the it's banned under the city blocks. It's banned under the and that's and that is he and he is getting desperate. The other thing is, and is the that reason, it's banned and the under the international. So horrific role. is that the body count goes up by 10 for every attack. It's when banned he uses chemical weapons. It's banned under international law for a very good reason. Sure. And the United States does not want to deal with a boogeyman that just lobs chemical weapons around willy-nilly, which is what it looks like he's moving towards. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, Obama's been very clear in that message. It's like we can't tolerate that kind of activity. The world is too small to let somebody just lob sarin gas around without being, you know, mic checked. Yeah, I mean, actually, when, when I, when I, uh, Whenever I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very anti-chemical weapon because, I mean, all you have to do is look at the First World War. I'm not kidding. That's really all you have to do to, to get it, to, 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 to understand how terrible chemical weapons are is look at for, is look at the First World War. Because. And how much of a villain it makes you in, in the international community. Yeah. I mean, you know, mustard gas and things like that. Were, I mean, you might as well just tattoo the, like the Punisher logo on your forehead if you're going <laughs> to, like, like throw chemical weapons around you are just like yes i am going to smother you with death today. well i mean that is my job my 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 great-grandfather was in the first world war he was in he was on the western front and uh he uh he died at the age of 60 because of the chemicals that he inhaled while he was in the war i mean they over over a gradual period of time they affected his lungs in such a negative way with i mean unbeknownst to him but uh, that he, that he, that he died, you know, 20 years earlier than maybe he should have. So, uh, you know, th there's a lot about chemical weapons that are very bad and that need to be taken off the table completely. And this, 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 the funny thing is, is that 10, 12 years ago when the, the, the drumbeat to the war in Iraq was, was starting, where did Iraq dispose of all of their chemical weapons? Syria. <laughs> they they basically unloaded everything into Syria, and Syria has been stockpiling weapons. Um, they get they get chemical weapons from Russia. They probably get chemical weapons from China, and they get precursors from all over the world. And this is tiny little boutique market that that Syria is involved in, uh, importing you know uh, medical supplies, quote unquote, that can be easily turned into chemical weapons. And uh, they do not ascribe to the UN Charter on the ban of chemical weapons, so they think it's perfectly legitimate for for them to do that, which makes them one of the few countries on the surface of the planet where where they think stockpiling chemical weapons is, gee, fun, a great thing to do. Besides the United States, we have our big old pile, stockpile of chemical weapons. Of course, we can do whatever we want. Somewhere. Right? I mean, yeah, but we, we, the day that we pull them out and start using them is the day that I think we're, we're done. <laughs> That's the day that we know that the world is ending. That would be, that would be a very dark day indeed. So yes, talking, it would. speaking of dark days, you wanted to talk about Fukushima. Yeah, because, because, you know, just in the last couple of minutes of the program here, because we had, um, because somebody brought this up to me, a friend of mine. He said he was talking to someone, right, who worked in oceanography. 
and uh, he brought up Fukushima, you know, and the amount of, he said, you know, yeah, he says, you know, the, the, you know, the ocean currents and it's leaking into the, into the Pacific Ocean. This person has a PhD, 25 years as a, you know, university professor and all this other kind of stuff. And she said, oh, that's not a problem anymore. That's not happening. Oh, what are you kidding me? You're worried about that? Oh, please, you know, just, just stop talking. Just sit down, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and that upset me. And I, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Because every day I go on the internet. And I read the news, and I read headlines that appall me about Fukushima. Hey, Lindsay, okay? I read headlines about Fukushima that make that 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 say to me, "Well, how how could this still not be going on, and how could people not be talking about it?" Like here, here we go. Expert ban all fish from Japan. Cesium one thirty seven absorbed by human body has a ha, has a 30-year half-life. Now, when I read things like that, or when I read things like an ice wall must be erected uh, to maintain Fuku- uh, uh, they, they have to maintain Fukushima ice wall for a 100 years if it's ever installed to contain this radiation, that concerns me. The fact that huge amounts of this is being dumped into the ocean, and that ocean currents are going to, are going to carry that radiation to other parts of the world, concerns me. And the fact that nothing is being done about it concerns me and nobody wants to talk about it except for the fringe conspiracy nut jobs that, that everybody wants to, oh well, they're crazy they're nuts they're you know oh get, you know get these people out of here you know uh but i i just wanted to make a few you know a few comments and just tell you know in, encourage the viewers to continue to look into that and continue to to consider where your food is coming from is it irradiated <laughs> has you know has, because you don't want to eat irradiated fish do you? Maybe. Are you at the point where you're going to need to walk around with a pocket Geiger counter counter to test your water and food before you you drink no. it? No, 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 no. You're, you're. I mean, we're not at that level yet, but it's very possible that uh, you know. I mean, there have been some articles that I've read that are claiming that Fukushima uh, it could be worse than Chernobyl. I mean, you know, these are. I think. I think clearly it's worse than Chernobyl. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so this is this is a major problem that no one is talking about. And that people don't really care about. If I ask the, the, the average, you know, the average guy on the street, hey, have you heard about Fukushima? They go, oh yeah, that thing that happened a couple of years ago? Yeah, well, I, I thought that was over with. No, it's still going on. They're, uh, they're currently having to, like, scrape away to, like, the, the top two feet of topsoil off of, like, uh, you know, uh, like hundreds of square miles of irradiated land, you know, countryside. Uh, that people can't even go to anymore because radiation has seeped into the soil. I mean, I mean, what the hell is it going to look like? Fallout three by the end? Well, of they the, have you know, they like have whatever? they have trucks carrying bags of irradiated topsoil to waste sites that look like huge, gigantic mounds made out of these black cubes, which are basically hefty bags filled with irradiated topsoil, but they are the size of um, Super tankers. Oh my god. Huge rows with hay bale sized hefty bags full of irradiated soil. Irradiated topsoil stacked, you know, 20 feet high and uh, 100 feet deep. And That's 20 insane. Feet long. Yeah, yeah. And the, these are the, these are the waste sites where this stuff is going. Hey, but nothing's going on. <laughs> <laughs> this is not happening anymore. Remember, this is, this is all. You know, anybody who talks about this is crazy. If people get concerned about um, 
things like chemtrails and geoengineering, shit like that. This is crazy, crazy, crazy beyond the belief of, of what humans are doing to the planet right now. Uh, the, the massive amount of manpower effort that's going into this cleanup. And not even, it's not even technically a cleanup. It's just a containment right now. Could you, because they can't really clean it up. It's not, exactly. It's a containment. I mean, let's just, this is, it's a containment. It's an evacuation. It is a no-go zone. It is, it is crazy. And you're right. All the stuff that's going into the sea locally, that is a huge problem. The farther away that you get from the Japanese coastline, the less of a problem it becomes because the radiation just dissipates into the seawater. But for, you know, the 15 mile zone, the 20 mile zone out there where the density of the irradiated water is high, it's just crazy. It's, you're but, basically but I mean, really, just killing the environment. You're basically just killing the environment. But I mean, but look, huge amounts of radiation are still being, are still being dumped into the ocean. I'm sure it's affecting more than just the coastline of Japan. It's, well, yeah, but it I has mean, to I mean, be affecting. You, you can look, I mean, there is, there it has is, to be affecting the, you look the, the at how, Chinese how quickly the radiation dissolves into the water and it doesn't actually go away. Just the density of radiation, radioactive particles per cubic foot of water goes down to almost nothing. Right, but when you... The farther away that you get from the coastline. But the closer you get to the coastline, that red, yellow, orange, black area of of, of completely radioactive, nothing can live here, is really scary. Well, not only that, but uh, I think you, I, I think that, that it also we need to keep in mind that as more radiation dumps into the water, that 15 miles is going to turn into, into 20 miles. That's going to turn into 30 miles. That's going to turn into 40 miles of coastline. That's right, and all of that is being miles. watched very carefully from space. I mean, people. Are yeah, but the, but the Japanese are not doing a very mostly. great, or are not doing the most fantastic job of cleaning it or of containing it. It's yeah. So you know, if if um, giant mutant lizards come from the seafloor to stop Tokyo, it's really their own fault this time. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Was that like a Godzilla joke or something? That's a Godzilla joke okay. or a Pacific Rim. Yeah, Pacific Rim joke. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, but no, I mean, so 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 it's a topic that I think the people really need to look into a little more. And it really is the um, it's it's the horrible truth about nuclear power is that um, sure, eighty five, ninety two, ninety three and a half percent of the time, it's perfectly safe. But the time that it's not. The one and a half to two percent of the times that it's disastrously bad, it's disastrously bad. Disastrously. We can't cope with. So fault protection is not, I mean, and you know, you can go back and say that these reactors were old, they hadn't, you know, been up to code, that everybody saw it coming, and that's just, you know, more evidence that humans cannot be held cannot be expected to be 100% accountable for themselves is because we get lazy and stop paying attention and we have other problems and then things go bad and we only say, oh, we should have in retrospect. That's just human nature. So we can't be too arrogant when we're dealing with, you know, mining radioactive materials and bringing them to the surface of the earth to put in cooling towers. And go, oh, well, if things go bad, we can just dump into the ocean. Well, no. We now know that that's not plan B. And it's right. not ever going to be plan that's B. That's not the case, yeah. yeah. So it makes us definitely, makes me definitely rethink the whole concept of nuclear power. And, um, 
the whole concept of of mining radioactive materials to begin with and bringing them to the surface of the earth is is crazy no matter which way you think about it whether it's for like making armor piercing bullets that are like strewn all over the landscape in Iraq and Afghanistan now all of these uranium depleted uranium bullets that they use in in anti-tank and anti-armored warfare it's nuts but this stuff is going to be lying around for thousands and thousands of years and is still going to be radioactive. Yeah, and maybe in a couple thousand years, some aliens will come down and they'll find it or something. <laughs> you know, I'm just getting weird. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we don't want radioactive materials lying around the surface of our planet. Ooh, it's, no, we do it's not. To- it's super, super toxic. It is. And we have a lot of it laying around. We have huge uh, arms stockpiles, too, you know, nuclear arms stockpiles that are sitting there. Uh, you know, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, some people said, hey, where did some of these nukes go? Uh, hello? You know? Uh, and so it's a problem that most people are unaware of, I think. Or if they're, if they're not unaware of it, they don't care. Um, so, and I'm not sure which I it is. I think, I don't know, there's almost like a science fiction element to it. There's... Three Mile Island, and I'm sure the people who live through Three Mile Island on the East Coast are very aware of nuclear reactor threats and fears. But that area is now not so bad. Are you familiar with the Three Three Mile Island incident? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, well, that was maybe a little bit before your time, but that was America's first big nuclear reactor scare, and people had to be evacuated, and it was all of the same kind of stuff, nuclear steam cloud and uh, irradiated. Is it as bad as Fukushima? No. No. And it was not as bad as Chernobyl. No, and, and Fukushima is worse than Chernobyl. So that that's that that's uh, so in a sense the fact that we had a nuclear reactor scare that was bad for a few years, but you know in twenty years in hindsight doesn't seem that bad, or maybe it's even thirty years in hindsight now. I think the Three Mile Island was in the seventies, uh, forty years in hindsight is is sort of makes the the idea of nuclear safety a little sort of archaic, but. And now that it's happening in Fukushima, that's not archaic at all. It's it should be center stage for everybody. Maybe this is just my paranoia coming up, but uh, everybody go out and get a copy of Fallout Three or Fallout New Vegas, and I, and I want you to sit there and play through that game, and then uh, and then and then and then I want you to look up Fukushima and radiation disaster. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, don't 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 get yourself all paranoid like that. But Fallout <laughs> F- Fallout Three is a, is a great video game, though I will say Bethesda puts out great great uh, products. But anyway. And, and they were of Skyrim fame, correct? Uh, well, no, of, of more than Skyrim fame. I mean, I but mean, that was their big game last year. Yeah, but this uh, year it's Fallout. No, no, no. Uh, Fallout came out a co- came out a couple of years ago. They're working on Fallout Four now. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of these open world RPGs. I'm a huge fan of those kind of games. Um, mm-hmm. Because really, and and if you'll let me just kind of go off topic here for a minute sure there's a and the reason is is because literally you can create your own character to do whatever you want you don't need to follow the main quest line you know and you can just kind of make your way through this world you know and i think it's so so interesting and so much fun that you can do that and uh fallout 3 was uh was uh, one of the great games but really uh in my opinion one of the best games that, that bethesda ever put out was uh, i think it came out in 2002 or 2003 morrowind the elder scrolls morrowind uh, was one of the was one of the most immersive RPGs that I've ever played. Had one of the most interesting open worlds. It had a great storyline. Uh, it had uh, you know I mean obviously the graphics. I mean I, I mean the graphics for the time were unbelievable. Uh, and they and they and they and you know some of the modders who are in that community have made a great graphics overhaul of that. But 
definitely check out Fallout 3, Skyrim, uh, you know, any of the Elder Scrolls games. Oblivion was, 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 was a lot of fun too. Um, but definitely check those out. And, and I'm, and now the Elder Scrolls Online is supposed to come out and I'm waiting to see how that turns out. But, but we'll you see. can't port your character. You can't what? You can't port your character. What do you mean? Into the online. If oh, you, you can't if you import play, them. If you oh. play Elder Scrolls. You can't import. You already have a, you know, if you already have like a super high level character, you can't port them into the online world. You have to start all the way over from scratch. Can you, well, I mean, you can't port your character. <laughs> I mean, you can't port your character anyway, can you? No. But this is, this, these are the kind of conversations my kids had at dinner time. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, no, I mean, I mean, I wasn't going that far into it. I, I'm just saying that for the for the open world experience, these these games are a lot of fun. And Fallout Three makes a, it does a good job at making a post-apocalyptic open world. Let me put it that way. And New Vegas is 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 the same way, which is a lot of fun. Now, um, it depends on what you're interested in. The um, Fallout Three takes place on the on 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 the East Coast in the ruins of Washington D.C. and the surrounding area, like Bethesda, Maryland, and all that. Uh, and Fallout New Vegas takes place on the West Coast, and they have the New California Republic, and, um, you know, Caesar's Legion, and it takes place in California, Nevada, and a couple other places. So, really, really great games if you guys are interested in checking them out. Bethesda is not paying me to say this, I'm saying this by my own accord. They're, they're, they're really fun, so. <laughs> as long as we're going off topic, I think I'll mention that, um, in the next season of Falling Skies, season four, there may be, may be a character named after me. I don't want to say too much really? about that, but but uh, that'll be exciting. But yes, to I've see. gotten I've gotten inside word from the the new showrunner, who's an old friend of mine, that uh, in one of the scripts that they're they're putting out. How there many seasons the, of Falling Sky are there so far? There's three seasons. Now, now I don't know much and about it's a that fun show. show. Can I, you, can I watched you tell me a little the first about two it? seasons all at once, and uh, it's pretty good to watch as a as like a like all at once to binge. Well, what binge is it about? It. Oh, it's a, it's about an alien invasion. It's about basically the um, ragtag military resistance fighting off an alien invasion. And the thing about Falling Skies is the technology of the aliens is not too far advanced from that of humans. Ah, that's it's, cool. It is within the realm of the mechanical that we can understand and reverse engineer. So, ah. uh, it's it, that when, a, you know, human ingenuity is pitted against overwhelming alien technology, the humans always find like a loophole through the technology that they can work with or, um, you know, it's, it's, right. I think, it, I think it's pretty well written. I mean, most alien invasion shows, they don't have a lot of staying power. Because, I'm gonna have to check this out. I'm gonna have to watch because this because the invasion is sort of lopsided, and then there's a lot of political mind games. And one of the problems I hate with alien shows is they do this thing where you can't tell who's an alien and who's a human, and who can you trust. And that's all part of making good TV drama. But um, David Ike, my friend, who was uh, the producer of Battlestar Galactica for uh, um, I think the whole run of Battlestar Galactica, the um, the newer series. Uh, he has now been taken on as the showrunner for Falling Skies in its fourth season, and uh, he's putting together some script ideas, and I guess uh, he has a habit of using the names of people he knows when he's creating new characters, so he may actually be using my name. Hey, well, that's cool. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> I hope that that happens. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to have to actually check out Falling Skies now that you... It's fun. That it's you fun, and it's, uh, you know. it's got a, you know, I would say that the, the one thing that it's I couldn't get over some of the acting choices that were made early on, but it's very sort of it's very I would call it like almost like comic book drama. 
Okay. All of the characters are very, are they're, they're created very much like comic book characters. And, and I think if you kind of go with that feel, then it, it makes more sense. And if you're trying to figure out, you know, um, cause it, it, it opens, they're already in the alien invasion by the time we start. So we don't get to see who they were pre invasion. We only get to see them post invasion and they've already become heartened caricatures of, you know, resistance fighters by the by that point but by, by the way speaking of television shows for those of you who are fans of uh of downton abbey that's going to be coming oh, out again next yeah. year and vikings as well for those of you who have seen that show uh and in addition i think it's this month that they're airing um the new episodes of uh american dad and family guy are coming out and uh i i, I some people might just might might just might disagree with me but uh, i like american dad a little more than family guy because of the political satire in it uh it takes it to another level, and uh, you know they have Roger the alien in there and all that, and I think it's a really funny, you know, you know, and you know, you know they have a goldfish with the brain of a German man. I think I thought that was a great, you know, concept. Although that was funny, so uh, yeah, so those are coming out too. If you guys haven't seen those shows, uh, check check those out too. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of especially American Dad. It's it's very funny, unless you're a Repu- unless you're uh, you're a neoconservative Republican, then 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 it might offend you a little bit. Unless uh, you don't. Well, think I it's... think Seth MacFarlane is happy if he offends anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could just put make a big list of everybody on the planet, and Seth MacFarlane is like writing a joke that will offend them next. Don't watch the show. <laughs> don't don't watch the show if you're a neoconservative or if you uh, or or if, or if you take yourself too seriously. Either one of those, you can't watch it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'm done with my diatribe now. Yeah, I'm done with my off-topic stuff, so. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm your host, Jake Kettle, and of course, with me as always, founder of DoseNation.com and author of Psychedelic Information Theory, James Elkant. Thanks, Jake. It's been fun. I like, uh, we, we, we took a little bit of the summer off just because uh, our schedules were, uh, you know, we had vacations and kids going back to school and, you know, things to take care of. But we should be back on a weekly basis now, and yep. uh, it's good to catch up. And yeah. we will see you again next week. Yeah, so see everybody next week. I hope you guys have a fantastic uh, morning, evening, afternoon, whatever it is where you are in the world. And thanks for tuning in. Remember to like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash dose nation. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash dose nation. Also, make sure you check out the YouTube channel because I put up some special content there. I just put out a video recently called uh, The Abbey about my experience at a Benedictine monastery. Uh, it's also on the website. And uh, you can find that at youtube.com forward slash dose nation. We also have a SoundCloud, which where the audio only version of that is posted, which is uh, soundcloud.com forward slash dose nation. And the YouTube is dose nation TV. Um, in addition, buy your books through our website. Uh, there, you, you can buy a copy of Psychedelic Information Theory uh, through our website, and you know, purchase it. Uh, purchase all your books through our website because it really helps us out. Uh, it gives us an affiliate credit and. Uh, you know, it's just great to, uh, you know, it's it, we really appreciate it when people do that because it, it really does help us a lot. And uh, in addition, uh, you can also make a, make a donation if you're feeling uh, that generous. So thank you. All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you uh, next week. And uh, thanks for joining us. Have a good, have a good afternoon.